Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Go Steelers! Go Steelers! Say go Steelers! Go Steelers! What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. This is Nick coming to you from the Houston Outpost, and Papa Tom told me to tell you that he sends his love from the D.C. Outpost. And there's a lot of love being spread around today because the Steelmen defeated the Falcons, moving to, I want to say, like 15-2 and all-time against the Falcons. The Steelmen win 19-16 to barn burner down there in Atlanta and the Steelers are once again a watchable team things are looking up for the Steelers you got to put these things in perspective a 1916 win over a so-called basement dwelling team is a big deal for the Steelers considering where they were at earlier in the season and all the issues that they've faced really over the past four seasons even while they've been winning games so I'll kind of dig into why this is yet another step forward for the Steelers in a season that was pretty dramatically turned around in the bye week, it seems. Now, the Steelers are coming out of the bye week, winning three out of four, and even the one they lost to the Bengals, where the Bengals did have control for a lot of the game, really mostly, I guess you'd say the second half, because the Steelers went into the second half winning the game. Even that game showed a little bit more fight and a little bit more aptitude than the Steelers have shown in a long time. So the Steelers have played really well since the bye, and there are a few extremely tangible reasons that I'm going to touch on that prove that scientifically. I'm a math guy. No, I'm not, but I'm a football guy. And a couple other football guys had a huge day for the Steelers. The Haywards, massive day for Cam Hayward and Connor Hayward scoring his first touchdown in the NFL Their father, the legend, Ironhead Hayward, played for the Falcons. So uh, Alex Cazora, Steelers beat great, tweeted out an eerie video of Connor Hayward's first touchdown and how it looked almost identical to Ironhead, his dad's first touchdown at Pitt. Very uh, creepy in a heartwarming way. It was heartwarmingly creepy. Uh, So huge day for them. And uh, I guess just to, to wrap this up before I get to the themes, I'd say let's forget about the draft picks. I said it last year. Don't be worrying about where the Steelers' draft position is. Sure, we can monitor the Bears and hope that they don't win many more games, but the Bears lost and remain as the second overall pick in the NFL draft. But I believe if they had won the game, they would have moved to like the 10th pick. So we talked about that with the Steelers beating the Colts last week. These Wins and losses are massive swings for draft picks. So don't pay attention to that because it doesn't matter. The Steelers look like they have a great chance at finishing around 500. So, and we're going to take that because 
the way they are getting to 500 is through the growth of inexperienced and young players, which shows you they have room to become better players. TJ Watt was not TJ Watt in his first two years. Neither was Troy Polamalu or Antonio Brown or Ben Roethlisberger or Le'Veon Bell or really almost any Steeler great. None of these guys were what they eventually became. So while the Steelers are winning games, we are happy that it, it, it is appearing that, hey, they're going to have even better players soon as some of these guys mature, let alone the fact that they're going to get to bring in more people and have more money to spend. So forget about the draft picks for the Steelers. Let's enjoy them getting better. And uh, when you're looking forward into the next few weeks here, Steelers have a massive opportunity with the Lamar Jackson injury in Baltimore. And hopefully Lamar's okay. I think it's impossible not to be a Lamar Jackson fan, but it doesn't seem like it's going to be a super major injury, but it is looking unlikely that he'll be able to play against the Steelers. And even if he does, they were talking about Harbaugh saying days or weeks for the Lamar Jackson injury and not years, which is great. So I guess he wasn't, you know, uh, mortally wounded, which would be years long injury, but even if you're talking about it possibly being weeks, he's not going to be at full strength against the Steelers. The Steelers have a real chance to beat this Baltimore team that has a habit of choking away leads in the fourth quarter. Baltimore, I kind of think they're a team that's going to arrive next year with how promising their draft class was this year. The same thing's going to apply to them where those rookies are going to get a lot better uh, over time. But as of right now, the Ravens will crush some of the best teams in football like the Bills and the Dolphins. They'll be up by 20 on those teams, and then they'll end up choking it away in the fourth quarter. But without Lamar Jackson, they're they're nothing. There's no team to speak of without Lamar Jackson in Baltimore. I'm sorry. There's not a single marquee player, unless I guess you count um, Roquan Smith, the middle linebacker they just acquired from the Bears. But I guess what I'm trying to say is the Steelers at home, I would hope should beat the Baltimore Ravens this week. And then after the Ravens, you get... One of the crappiest teams in the NFL, the Panthers. We know the Steelers will be playing them close. The Panthers are very similar to the Falcons in which they're a tough team. They're not a complete doormat, but they're not going to win very many games. And they're definitely drafting in the top 10 this year. Um, and as you saw, the Steelers, who really outplayed the Falcons most of the day, it was a very close win. But I'm, I'm, I'm saying the Steelers should beat the Panthers. The Steelers have more star players. And just seem to be a little bit more balanced on both sides of the ball. And if you look at that upcoming schedule, what are they won? Three out of four. That could be four, five out of six. The Steelers have a chance to get to 500 in the next two weeks. And I think it's a very realistic chance. So that's exciting. All right. Now let's talk about the three themes from the game. The first theme is going to be another week, another step forward for the Steelers offense. I'm going to provide some context for that. The second theme is going to be the defensive stars are exciting, and we'll talk about how the defense is coming along. And the third theme, honestly, I just gave you the third theme. It's the future is looking bright for the Steelers, and that means the immediate future and the far future. But I'll kind of dig back into that uh, at the very end of the podcast. Okay, let's start with the offense. Here is why they are getting better. And it's literally everything. So if you look at it broadly, the Steelers' offense is starting fast. I don't know what the stats are off the top of my head if they've scored on all four of their opening drives of the past four weeks, but I do know that they're moving the ball. And if you look at this Steelers' era, 
this four-year transition phase after the killer bees broke up and after Ben hurt his elbow and you lost that entire offensive line and every single skill position player, this four-year period, even though the Steelers won a bunch of games in the first few, has been miserable on offense and I'd say categorized especially by slow starts in which they can't even get a first down on the first drive of the game. They were going three and out like over half of the time in these few years that they've been playing. They definitely hadn't been scoring, and I believe they only have two or three first drive touchdowns over the last two years as a whole, and most of them are coming now. Now, obviously, the Steelers aren't punching the ball, and their drives are stalling when they get in the red zone. Sometimes it's stupid and cute play calling, like Matt Canada calling a flea flicker or giving the ball to a fifth-string receiver or second-string tight end, and sometimes it's Kenny Pickett making rookie mistakes which I would like to categorize as rookie mistakes, as in these could be fixable issues. More on that in a minute. But when it gets tight, you know, the play call and the quarterback are kind of choking it away a little bit. Yeah, they've had pre-snap penalties and stuff like that, but the point is they're actually moving the ball down the field extremely efficiently. And yeah, it's still drives that are kind of dink and dunk. You know, there's a lot of plays, but it doesn't feel as dink and dunk as it has because they uh, are trying more chunk plays and they are hitting more chunk plays. But let me get back into the kind of the specifics there. So number one in this theme of the offense is the run game is improving and it's everybody is improving who has something to do with the run game. The line we have never seen holes like this in the past few years. The holes that they opened against the Falcons were incredible. They did a good job last week against the Colts, but there were a few massive holes this week. And it's kind of, it's hard to ignore when you watch it. So obviously that's going to make it a lot easier. And then Najee Harris, he's a different man since the bye week. He was getting a lot of crap and rightfully so in the media and from the fan base before the bye week. People suggesting, even Tomlin sort of, I think strategically suggesting that they're going to give Jalen Warren a lot more carries because he had been more successful at that point. Um, and by the way, that was a real thing. I know some of it's garbage time, but we can all admit Najee was really struggling early in the season. But the guy's got like three major injuries, and one of them he sustained on the first day of training camp with a list Frank injury, which is a famous football injury that usually knocks you out for a year. I know he got the sprain and not the, not the break, but it is a horrible injury to have. It's a, it's a nagging injury that truly affects the way you play. Look at anybody who's heard Liz Frank, Patrick Mahomes, in that Super Bowl run, I believe it was Liz Frank, against uh, the Buccaneers. He was, you know, hindered. It's a difficult injury to overcome. So part of Najee's issues were truly injuries. And then the other part is the one we all know about. He's a big man trying to play like a small guy. And it seems as if the comments of the fan base and the coaching staff and probably the film study and just the fact that Najee's a professional, it, it got to him where he is realizing that he is Jerome Bettis and he's not Le'Veon Bell. And that's the best way I can look at this. When we watch Jerome Bettis play, he never breaks 40 and 50-yard runs. It's a ton of five-yard runs and 10-yard runs, maybe a 20 here or there. But the bus is thought of as a power back. But what's the hacky thing every announcer is going to say during a Jerome Bettis game? Well, it's, he has remarkably quick feet for a big guy. And it's true. It was pretty wild watching his feet and how smooth he was. But he used that within the context of his own game. And his game is power, right? That's what Najee should be. Because the feet are amazing. He does have the ability to juke people out and stop on a dime. 
but he doesn't have the speed or the explosivity to take advantage of that once you juke the guy out to be able to actually pull away from the pack. Generally, if he jukes a guy out, he's slowing down and stopping, and other guys have a chance to catch up to him. Whereas Le'Veon obviously had a much better offensive line, but Le'Veon also not explosive, also not from a long distance standpoint, but he could kind of slide and and out of trouble extremely quickly and, and burst and pick up yards really quickly on that way. Najee is the strongest player on the field outside of the offensive and defensive linemen. And he's realizing that now the amount of people he's carrying, the amount of men that he is castrating via stiff arm to the face is truly astonishing. Levy, or, geez, <laughs> Najee Harris has the best stiff arm reel in the NFL right now. There's one every couple weeks that he gets. He, he killed a man. He killed a Falcons player. It happened. He stiff-armed him to the ground. So that's a massive difference with him taking what the defense gives him. And then I'd say the last thing with the uh, run game is doing is Jalen Warren and Benny Snell coming in to spell him. They're doing a great job just running forward. The Steelers are a power-running game. And they are really starting to be successful in that area. And that's going to save Najee. And... It just uh, it wears the defense down over the course of the game. So the run game helps everything. Secondly, the play calling is certainly more varied. Again, we've seen this since the bye. There's way more middle-of-the-field shots in terms of their slants, more slants to Deontay. There's been some slants to, to Pickens. Obviously, we'll, get, we'll talk about him in a minute here, not getting the ball. But the Friermuth plays, it, it is hilarious how much it resembles Heath Miller. So many down-and-in routes or hook routes where he stops in the middle field or little crossers to him or little tight end pop passes that get a drive going or convert on third down, and he is going to catch pretty much everything that's thrown his way. Obviously, he had probably the play of the season with the unbelievable run down the sideline. That's awesome. We need more of that. The two guys who have really sparked that are, well, it's really just Pickens has been the only big play guy. So now that um, Fryermuth is picking some of that up, that's amazing. But the play calling is certainly more varied. There were a number of deep shots I saw mixed in off of play action early in the game where either Kenny decided not to throw it because the guy wasn't open or he didn't have quite enough time to make the throw before he had to scramble away from pressure. Obviously, the offensive line is still improving. And they need, you know, we'll get to the improvements later, but they need some, some star players, you know. But the fact that they are calling these deep shots and you're seeing some replays where the guys are open enough or Pickens is open enough, it's very encouraging. But it's, that's what we wanted. We don't want just perfunctory go routes down the sideline. We want designed deep shots and we want throws to the middle of the field. And there are a ton more of those every single game. Now, Canada still has issues with predictable play calling and reusing plays too many times. He also needs to stop giving the ball to Gunner and to Gentry and guys like that, and, and Derek Watt, that was an awesome play call they had on first down um, with the sort of spinning misdirection ha- handoff to Derek Watt. That kind of play, cool, but don't overuse that kind of stuff. You need to get touch. There's no point in getting cute with these touches to Gunner. Um, they all go for one yard. Let's get past that. There's a lot of improvements that they can make, but the play calling's better. Okay, I waited this long to get to the Kenny Pick- Pickett section. I'm going to agree with Mike Tomlin. He's improving every week. If you want a specific area, the answer is all of them. But it might officially be time to, to formally get excited about Kenny Pickett because it's kind of starting to look like there's nothing outside of his ability range. Obviously, 
Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen and some of the super freaks, you know, um, Herbert and then Joe Burrow just coming in as like the perfect quarterback from day one. That's kind of screwed up all of our thinking to think, oh, if we don't have one of those guys, you're going to suck. And then you turn around and decent quarterbacks like Tua and Jalen Hurts are leading two of the best teams in the league. And you realize, oh, maybe it's just quarterbacks are better now. Well, Kenny Pickett is looking good. And the thing I noticed against the Falcons that's the most encouraging is that the velocity on his throws is improving. And I think it's just a confidence thing because he's stepping in there and ripping it. But we've always said about Kenny, every one of his physical traits is adequate. And I know that word's not sexy, so it almost sounds like it's a slight on him, but it's not. Like, his running is really solid. But if you want to say it's really good, you got to compare it to Kyler Murray and Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, and obviously it's not that. His arm, there are freak shows like Herbert and Mahomes out there. It's not that. But his arm is not weak. It's never been weak. So that's a misconception that I keep seeing online. It's never been a weak arm. It's been a fine arm. But he ripped a sideline shot in there to Sims, to Deontay, ripped one in the middle or two of them in the middle. Perfect spirals to to Fryermuth, perfectly in stride. That's a huge step forward. And then now he's just scrambling to throw a bit more. The big Negative I see on Kenny right now is that every game he airmails at least one wide open touchdown pass. I do also think that that's fixable because he airmailed the touchdown pass, throw it five feet over Fryermuth's head when he had an open post, and then on a very similar route down the seam, he completes the touchdown to Hayward, who I know was covered, but even if he was covered, it would have been a perfect throw. So that's not that he doesn't have the ability. I wonder if he's just getting a little psyched up when he sees a guy that wide open. If that continues through next year, then yes, we have a worry. But we've seen guys like Josh Allen, who has a perfect God-like throwing motion and throwing talent, he overthrew people and he fixed that. So I do think that's something that Kenny can fix in the offseason. If that's a permanent thing in his career, then yeah, you're going to have problems because he's not overwhelmingly physically talented enough to get by with that. But I do think that that's fixable. He missed the zone read in the red zone. That's completely fixable. His, and he's staying in the pocket much more. Obviously, he has the lack of amygdala thing we're looking for. He's not afraid. He takes massive shots and delivers accurate passes every game. We saw it in that first preseason game he played, and he has kept that up, and that is the shining star. That is the big thing you want to see from a quarterback. So, Kenny's looking good. I think it's officially time to start getting excited. I don't want to say it out loud, but I don't want to wait too long either. He's surprising me. He is um, maybe proving me wrong. It's not for sure that he's going to be a great quarterback yet, but these signs are piling up and only like, what, six or seven starts. Nice. Okay, the last thing I'll say for the offense, Pickens, George Pickens, ticking time bomb, throws a tantrum because he doesn't get any... Uh, targets during the game. We know this is part of his personality. It was happening at Georgia. He's got an awesome personality. Like he's a really likable, positive guy, but he's very fiery. He will punch you in the throat if you try to fight him on the field. He will get angry if he doesn't get targets. I think that's just going to be something you're going to have to deal with, with elite receivers in today's NFL. And we pointed this out after we drafted him. Like, hey, this, this could, he could be one of these kind of guys. Um, But that doesn't mean he's a bad dude. He's not a malicious guy. He's very approachable, good personality. You know, Stefan Diggs, they wanted to say, oh, this guy's a bad guy when he was throwing a few tantrums in Minnesota. Um, And then obviously that's, you know, not the case. But I guess what I'll say with Pickens is 
the Steelers live on the edge with these type of dudes. They like edgy guys. They think that they can uh, not control them, but just rein them in when it needs to be done and let them go wild when they need to go wild. And I do think the Steelers have the right crew to do that with Tomlin and Kenny being very composed. And Deontay clearly has been, you know, he's been frustrating. I know he had his plays during the game. I don't really think it's even, there's a big point in talking about it, but he's been really humble, uh, calming Pickens down. And I don't think that that's a big deal because I think as the Steelers offense improves, George Pickens, for the amount of catches he's had, his fame level nationally is very high. So as long as the Steelers keep doing well, George Pickens is going to get his. He averages 60 freaking yards a catch, so his numbers will be there too. I think that'll be fine. Um, Seems like the Steelers were just desperately trying to get the ball to Deontay this game since they haven't done a great job of that all season. But one thing at a time for the offense. I think they have the, the system in place to keep them calm. All right, the second big theme. I'll kind of move through this one quickly. Once again, the defense, the stars are exciting. It's sort of the same story every game with the Steelers. I just think in the modern NFL, it's very difficult to get a read on a defense until you have a good offense with how much the rules are stacked up against the defense. So I think the big thing we take away from the defense in this game is they got run on like crazy in the second half. And that should be something we're worried about, right? I I don't know. I'm not necessarily at the point where I, I even think it matters worrying about that. Uh, it'll matter in the offseason when you see who are they going to add in, in, in the trenches, at inside linebacker and at defensive line, right? It, and then DeMarvin Leal making a comeback. We, this is perfect timing. We need him to stay healthy. He says he's 100% healthy, but we need to see how that guy does over the last third of the season or whatever it is right now because you need to be able to check that box. Cam Hayward is still a great player, although he's not dominating to the level he's been in the past few years. But the getting run on, I don't know. I think it's really like, hey, let's hold off. Let's see what happens there. Obviously, the Falcons are awful on offense, and Marcus Mariota is is not going to really challenge you in any way. But what I will say is this. TJ Watt is clearly still hurt. He's got 16 injuries. He got injured again in this game. Tomlin says he's a little banged up. He's not himself. We know that once he can get back to full strength, He's TJ Watt. He's arguably the best defensive player in the league. I really hope they rest him. And I only say that because it's not one injury. It's three or four separate injuries right now. This is what happened to his brother JJ at this time in his career, and it derailed the rest of his career. So this is an example where I would say play it safe. Whereas if they were going for a Super Bowl right now, I'd say, hey, tough it out. But Minka Fitzpatrick and Alex Highsmith are spectacular. Highsmith, gorgeous strip sack, unbelievable ghost move. He is killing it. They need to pay him all the money, sign him. This is the luxury of having a quarterback on a rookie deal. If you keep TJ and Highsmith intact and you have the best safety in the league and Mika Fitzpatrick, who was making plays all over the field, even before the game ceiling interception, that is such a good place to start, especially with Cam Sutton, you know, playing serviceably. He's going to be an affordable corner. Obviously, they're going to want to get a star there, but the defense is in a good position. That's what you want. You want dudes who take the ball away and you want edge rushers. It's just got to complement the offense in this day and age. And I think the Steelers are in a really exciting position there. One second to shout out the unbelievable play from Minka at the end of the game where he picks it off. And instead of going for the pick six, which would have taken his lead uh, as the number one pick six guy since 2019, which I think is when he came in the league. He's got three pick sixes since that time. 
This would have given him four. I don't know if he would have scored for sure, but I think there was a very good chance. He's already number one. That would have put him even higher than that, right? So let's see. How many pick sixes? I'm going to look this up. Troy Polamalu pick six in career. Because I want to say it's like five or less. I don't know how many it is. I can't find it off the top of my head. But either way, he's, if you get four pick sixes, you're approaching Troy Polamalu level. This is, it's not a meaningless game, but this isn't a, a massive game. You could afford to, do, to, to run that back in the end zone. Then the Falcons have about 37 seconds to get a miracle. But guess what? The Jets had about 40 seconds to get a miracle against the Browns this year in a similar circumstance. When Nick Chubb, the Browns running back, ran in the end zone, scored a touchdown, left under a minute for the Jets to play. The Jets complete a 60-yard touchdown, an onside kick, score again, win the game. Minka Fitzpatrick knows that. He's been regarded as one of the smartest players to come in the NFL for a long time. And despite all the accolades, all the historical significance, all the leverage contractually, I mean, he just got a new contract, that you would get from notching up in his pick sixes, does not give a crap, does not hesitate, immediately runs out of bounds. The Steelers have a 100% chance of winning now, basically. They just nail it out. They end the game. That's incredible for the culture that you have a guy who will do that. It's pretty badass. So lots to look forward there defensively. And I guess just to wrap up the podcast here, I'll give you the third theme one more time, which I sort of covered at the beginning of the podcast, which is the future is bright, man. The immediate future is bright. Having this sort of vibe around the team, if they can beat the Ravens and the Panthers, and even if they lose the Ravens, you know, that's okay. But I think this is a golden opportunity with Lamar out. If they can beat both of those teams, what are they like? Okay, three out of four, four to five, like five out of six or whatever it is. You're like five and one over the second half of the season with the ability for your young players to grow significantly over the offseason with an extra draft pick potentially in the top 40 to use with a lot more cap space than you've had in the past. There would be tremendous uh, room for, um, what's the word? You could just, You'll be happy in Pittsburgh. There you go. Optimism. That's the word. Tremendous reason for optimism. And the Steelers play the Raiders later in the season. They're a beatable team, but I do think the Steelers will struggle with them, uh, you know, just with their offense and how they've been coming on recently. And then you got the rusty Deshaun Watsons with the Browns, and you have the Ravens one more time. So it's not like unwinnable games down the stretch even after that, but I, I'd really be looking at this next, these next two weeks as a massive opportunity for the Steelers. So Exciting, fun to watch. I know that it's frustrating watching the Steelers not being able to close out games in the second half, but this is another example of in four wins where the four-minute offense has run out the clock on the other team, essentially. The Steelers have run the ball down the field, and yeah, they didn't score against the Falcons, but they did have the special teams play of the year with press uh, for the Steelers, at least, with Presley Harvin punting it down to the one-yard line, which pretty much dooms a Marcus Mariota-led Falcons passing attack. So they really did, the Steelers, run out the clock at the end of the game. And they just need to turn some of these three-point drives into seven-point drives. But one thing at a time, people. They were coming from the worst offense I've ever seen in my entire life, essentially, with starting players, right? One thing at a time. That'll come next. This is still a big deal. Expecting them to just shut the door on the Falcons, that's unrealistic. Next year, we hope that they, you'd like to see them play a team like the Falcons and shut the door. But they're not there yet, and this is great progress. Can't wait to watch them against the Ravens next week. 
Hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost, Gmail at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye.